For the rest of us, we're continuing to work through the book of Corinthians. We're into the last three chapters now, chapter 14. There's a lot in here, so we'll, we'll do our best. So chapter uh, 14 of 1 Corinthians, verses 1 to 25. I just celebrated my 20th anniversary of being a pastor. Hard to believe. I must have been like 12 when I started or something like that. Um, and one of the things I have learned again and again in those 20 years is that religion can be a dangerous thing. Religion is like playing with fire. You have to be very careful with it. You have to have a healthy respect for it or else it can burn you badly. So part of my job as a pastor, I've learned in those 20 years, is to keep you and myself from becoming too religious. Can you believe that? I think I better explain what I mean. Because I don't mean that I don't want you to love God more or to be more committed to Jesus. I do. But rather, I want you to think, for instance, of all of the trouble that Jesus had with the super-religious Pharisees. They were his number one enemies. And in fact, Jesus is the classic case where religion kills people, literally. Uh, someone mentioned in, in the discussion group we have about the sermon after the service uh, several weeks ago, when you think God is on your side, you can do all kinds of terrible things and not only not feel guilty about them, but feel justified and even righteous about it. And it's not just killing people, but also you can feel justified and righteous for hurting people, for rejecting people, for criticizing people, for trying to fix people, and for gossiping about people. Are we getting closer to home? Hello. Well, Jesus had trouble with the Pharisees because of their, their rigid keeping of the law and the religious rules. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of 1 Corinthians that we're looking at, had trouble too with religious people, but his was a completely different kind of trouble. Paul's trouble was with enthusiastic, spirit-filled people, people who had had or, or were having wonderful, ecstatic spiritual experiences, people who spoke in tongues, that is, who spoke in languages that they didn't understand because the Holy Spirit gave them this miraculous gift of speech. And the Corinthians that Paul is writing to are thoroughly enjoying, it seems, getting together, feeling the Spirit come upon them and speaking in these tongues. It was a wonderful experience. It was heavenly. It was divine. It was inspiring. And they were very proud of their ability to do this and how much they did it. They were proud that they were so spiritual. In fact, there's a decent chance that they thought that these unknown languages that they were speaking in were the languages of angels. This might be why Paul says back in chapter 13, we looked at this last Sunday, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but have not love, I am nothing. 
Whatever they were, these tongues that the Corinthians were experiencing were wonderful, and the Corinthians wore this ability to speak in these tongues as a badge of honor. They were super spiritual. They were so religious. They were so great, they thought. But Paul is not at all impressed. He says, you're missing the point of following Jesus Christ. Because the point is not to be super spiritual. The point is to learn to love people better. If you've been here the last few weeks, you've seen that from chapter 13. We saw in chapter 13 that that none of the religious stuff is worth anything if we don't love people. And it's hard to love people when you're looking down on them, when you think you're better than them or more spiritual than them. So Paul gets really practical now in chapter 14. He tackles head-on the immediate problem he sees with with these Corinthians, particularly the problem he sees with what they do when they get together as God's people. Remember that we've seen before that the Corinthians met in homes. All of the early church pretty much did. Probably large homes, maybe 30, 40, 50 of them meeting together, which is what these homes would hold. And we saw that they'd often eat a meal together. They would celebrate the Lord's Supper. They would pray together. There might be teaching. They would prophesy. That's what we're going to talk about today. And they'd speak in tongues out loud. And that's the problem that Paul is going to address in today's passage. But first note that, that when we get together, it, it or when the Corinthians got together, it wasn't just one clergy person up front doing all of this, or or even a few leaders doing all of it. No, many of the Corinthians were involved. They were participating. The men were, the women were, all of them were when they gathered. Paul says later down in verse 31, all of you can prophesy in turn. But here's Paul's problem with, with these gatherings. Not that they were all participating, not that they were speaking in tongues per se, but that they were missing the point. Because the point of getting together, the point of church, is not me or you having wonderful spiritual experiences so that I feel so good and so encouraged and so alive and so wonderful. Oh, wasn't church just so inspiring today? Now, it's great if that happens. But that's not the main point. A more important reason for getting together, according to Paul, is to build one another up. Love, Paul says, or said all the way back in chapter 8, builds others up. And six times in today's passage, by my count, Paul repeats this. Uh, Our English translations use different synonyms, but in the original Greek, it's the same word, build up or edify, six times. Listen, verse 3, or if you have your Bible, take a look. The one who prophesies, verse 3, speaks to people for their strengthening, literally for their building up. Verse 4, the one who prophesies edifies, builds up the church. Verse 5, so that the church may be edified, built up. 
Verse 12, try to excel in those spiritual gifts that build up the church. Verse 17, you are giving thanks well enough, but no one is edified, built up. Do you hear it? One of the main purposes for getting together is to build each other up. That's what love does. That's the loving thing to do, is to build other people up. Build them up how? Build them up so that they are stronger in their faith, more mature, more faithful, more able to follow and serve Jesus. And build us up together so that we're a more healthy community, so that we're functioning together to accomplish Jesus' purposes in this world. That's why we come together. Not just so that you or I can have a wonderful spiritual experience, although it's wonderful if we do, and, and certainly not so that we can feel better then or look down on those who are not as spiritual as we are. That's not why we get together. And that's why in this passage, Paul says very clearly that, uh, that um, he wants the Corinthians to stop speaking in tongues so much when they get together and instead to focus on prophesying. Now, how's that for practical application from today's passage? <laughs> We should spend more time prophesying and less time speaking in tongues. Some of you who come from Pentecostal or charismatic backgrounds, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Others of you are like, what is he talking about? <laughs> what does any of this have to do with me? So let me take some time and explain what speaking in tongues and prophecy are and why Paul wants the Corinthians to stop speaking in tongues so much when they gather and to do more prophecy instead. And if, um, if uh, Sean is up there, maybe he could turn on the stage lights. That would help me to see my notes. Um, let's start with tongues. We've already seen that it's a spirit-given ability, a God-given ability. Uh, the, the switch is all the way on your right on the wall. Two switches. There we go. Ah, I can see. <laughs> so we've already seen that... Um, Tongues are a spirit-given ability, a God-given ability to speak in a language that we don't know. Maybe a human language we don't know, or maybe an angelic language. And in our passage, Paul also says there are five other things. Uh, he says five other things about what tongues is. First, he says that speaking in tongues is talking to God primarily, not people. We see this in verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not people, but to God. Second, speaking in tongues is praying or thanking God. Verse 14 says, if I pray in a tongue. Verse 16 says, when you are praising God in the spirit. Verse 17 adds, you are giving thanks well enough. Notice also in verse 15, Paul talks about singing in tongues too. Tongues could be praying. Evidently, it could be singing. Either way, it was talking to God, praising God, thanking God. Third, speaking in tongues happens when the Holy Spirit enables our spirit to pray to God or to praise God without our mind being involved. Verse 14 
My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Fourth, that's because I can't understand what I'm saying. Fourth, even though the person speaking in tongues doesn't know what they are saying, they are built up spiritually by doing it nonetheless. They are, but no one else is. The Holy Spirit is ministering to their spirit. They are being blessed, though their mind is not involved. Verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies, builds up themselves. Verse 17, you are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified or built up. And then fifth, speaking in tongues is a great gift to have because it builds up the person doing it. Verse 5, Paul says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. And verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And if you speak in tongues, and I know some of you do, you experience this, right? It's a blessing to you when you use that gift. It builds you up. But here's Paul's point. Tongues doesn't build anyone else up because they can't understand what you're saying. So he says in verse 13, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say so others can understand. And if there's no interpretation, Paul says, then stop if you're in the gathering of God's people. Yes, speak in tongues at home. And sure, if you're praying for someone or you're in a prayer meeting, Pray in tongues quietly so that you're not a distraction. But in a public setting, when everyone is contributing and you have the floor, don't start spouting off in some language that no one else can understand. Because that may build you up and it may make you look really spiritual, but it doesn't build anyone else up. And building others up is a main purpose of God's people getting together. This is just common sense, right? What Paul's saying here. All right, what about prophecy? What's that? Well, first, we could go to, there we go. Um, prophecy is a greater gift than tongues when we gather together, Paul says. Verse five, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who's speaking in a tongue. Why? Because second, unlike tongues, other people can understand prophecy. And so prophecy can build them up. Prophecy is spoken to people, not to God. And it's spoken to build people up. Verse 4, the one who prophesies, edifies, builds up the church. You know, we often think of prophecy as predicting the future. And it can involve that. But that's not its main purpose. Prophecy's main purpose is building other people up spiritually. Verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening. That is, they're building up, they're encouraging, and their comfort. Building up, strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Those are the purposes of prophecy. Now, just a word about encouraging, because the Greek word translated encouraging here is a word some of you will know. It's paraklesis. It's related to the word paraclete, which is who Jesus says the Holy Spirit is. And paraklesis can mean encouragement, which is soft and sweet. And it can also mean exhortation, 
which is more challenging and has more of a bite. Prophecy can be encouraging. It can also be challenging. But either way, it does this in ways that build people up, not in ways that tear them down. And so back to the point, Paul is saying that speaking in tongues is a lousy way to love people because no one can understand what you're saying. And so they're not built up. So do it to yourself because it will build you up. But when you gather with others and it's time to speak, prophesying is a great way to love the other people because it builds them up. Then third, in prophecy, God reveals something to the prophet that the prophet couldn't know by him or herself. We see this down in verses 29 to 31, which we'll look at next week. But, but listen to it. Um, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. And then listen also to verses 24 and 25. If an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So prophecy is a revelation from God. It builds up, it comforts, it encourages or exhorts, and it can also convict you of your sin and make you feel the weight of God's judgment as the secrets of your hearts are laid bare before God. And this builds you up too, because it calls you to change, to grow, to repent, to change, or to choose to be closer to God. Powerful stuff. And so forth, very simply, prophecy is a very valuable gift. So question, I, I know a lot of you are asking it. Is there still prophecy today? Well, some people say no, that it died out. It either died out when, um, I think we have a, no, yeah, just a question. Um, some people say it died out when Jesus' first 12 apostles died out. Others think it died out once the, we had the New Testament. Um, others that it died out for other reasons at some other time. And theologians can give reasons for each of these arguments. Well, meanwhile, others point out that the Bible actually never says when or if prophecy died out. It was for sure still going on during the times written, and the Bible doesn't give us any clear warnings or indications that this gift would disappear. Except, of course, the verse we looked at last Sunday in chapter 13, verse 8, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. But the question is, when will prophecy cease? This ceasing could very well be referring to when Jesus comes back in the future at the end of history. So there's a diversity of perspectives on this, and I realize we're a diverse church. Maybe you think prophecy has ceased. Maybe you think God can still give, give the gift um, and gift people that way. That's what I happen to think. And there's room for all of us here. But if you ever do have a message that uh, you think is prophetic and should be shared, Paul is clear that it needs to be tested and weighed by others. We're going to look at that more next week. So feel free to bring that message to me, to bring it to the elders. We'll discern it with you, 
and we'll see if it seems to be from God and, and figure out what we should do with it or how to share it. But whatever you or I think about prophecy, let's not miss Paul's bigger point. And it's that when we get together, our main focus should be to love one another. And the best way to love one another is to build each other up. And to build others up, we have to speak with words that other people can understand. And so Paul says in verse 12, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. And at least for the Corinthians, and arguably for us as well, prophecy is a great example of one of such gifts. So how do we apply this today? Well, let me suggest three takeaways from this passage. First, in our passage, Paul has reminded us of one of the main reasons we gather. I'm not saying it's the only reason, but it's a main one, if not the main one, and it's certainly a non-negotiable one. We gather to build up, to help each other grow spiritually, to encourage and challenge each other to trust God more, to love God more, to be more uh, committed to Jesus together, to serve God better, and, and to do all this not just individually, but together. And so second, we need everyone involved to do this. This isn't just something a pastor does for you or a leadership team. It's not the leaders of CBC's job to build you up. That's your job, to build one another up. Well, then what's our job as leaders? Our job is to equip you to build each other up to, and to coordinate your efforts. And so this is why getting into some sort of smaller group is important. Because if we've got 100 people here on, on a Sunday morning, that's a lot more than the Corinthians had. And it's just not possible to have 100 people sitting in rows and to get everyone involved. That's why we've got to meet in, in smaller groups with other people, whether it's an informal group or a, a formal one. We need to be in a group. Why? Not just for what you can get from that group. Not just so you can feel cared for or find friends, although that's valuable if that happens. I hope that does happen. But the main reason we gather with others in smaller groups is to build one another up. Even as they're building you up, you're seeking to build them up. We gather together so everyone can be involved in building one another up. So here's what this means. If when you gather with others, your job is to build them up, then you're going to have to have something upbuilding to bring. Which means you need to spend time with God on your own. Praying to God, thinking about God reading his word, meditating on what it says, applying it to your life so that you have something to share that will build others up when you get together with them. You need, I need, a real and living faith. 
And then third, we need the Spirit to be able to do this. We can't do this in our own strength. We can't build other people up in our own strength. If we try, what we, what we try won't be worth much. This, this is the part the Corinthians at least got right and that they were excelling in. Being led by the Spirit, being full of the Spirit. And like them, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to use us, to teach us, to fill us, to, to gift us in ways that will enable us to build up others. We prayed about this all week. If you were at the week of prayer, every night we were praying that the Holy Spirit would do this for us and for our church and others as well. And as we use whatever gifts and abilities that God has given us, we, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit as we use these gifts. Whether our gift is prophecy or teaching or encouraging or whatever, we need the Spirit to empower us so that we can build others up around us. And we need the Spirit to guide us so we know how to build others up and when is the right time to speak and when is the right time to listen and what to say and what not to say. So question, who are you connected to? Who are you gathering with regularly so you can build them up and so that they can build you up? If you know the answer to that question, then when you gather with these people, are you actually building them up? Or is your group distracted by other things? Are you together to build one another up? And if you don't have anyone, if you aren't gathering with anyone, I encourage you to ask God to show you who. And I'd be happy to help you find some others to gather with as well. Let's pray. God, you love us. You want us to come to yourself. And once we come, you want us to grow up. You want us to be built up. And it's amazing that to make that happen, you've given us other people. And you've given them, us. And so I pray that your spirit would work among us and give us what we need so that we have something to offer to those around us, that we may all be built up together because that's the kind of church we want to be. Amen.